Why, hello, and welcome to Season 27, Episode 10 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. Hey, ho, I'm Kermit the Frog. I don't know. All right. I don't know. I couldn't do it. This is Bill. And I'm Tappy. I, I, I meant to say coming to you from Mordor. Oh, yeah. What you are in the red zone. <laughs> well, I mean, it, we're not in Oregon. I mean, Oregon is really Mordor. Yeah, we're like we're like on the outskirts of Mordor, like right because I'm because I'm in Washington, so we're above True Mordor. You're below True Mordor. Yeah, Oregon, Oregon, bad, not good there. The, yeah, the the mornings here are real bad. I mean, it like it's hard to see the end of the street from the smoke, but it clears out. The wind shifts, mm-hmm. and in the afternoon, like when I got home, except for the giant pillar of smoke, like six miles away, I blue sky, couldn't smell smoke. And then mm-hmm. just now it started to shift again, and now it's coming back yeah. towards us. Now the Santa Ana start going in. <clears throat> but that the fire has actually straddled the mountain range, and it's now like six miles from Palmdale. Ooh. Wow! It's, it's across. It, it's spanned. It's Oof. sixty thousand acres, and it's eleven percent contained or nine percent contained, something like that. Man. But it's you actually got, you got the go bag ready, right? You got your, you got oh, your yeah. bug out bag. Yeah, that's all, all set. All that oh, stuff's yeah. ready. Yep. And my laptop. Yeah, and we're um. My, we've my had dice. like. Badish AQI, like you know, over two hundred and stuff. But we actually got rain today. The blessing of Washington, oh. rain. And it's supposed to rain this weekend. We're like, oh, look, there's sky up there. Oh god. <laughs> I think originally last week they said we were supposed to have rain in a week or so, but I haven't seen any signs of it yet. I think the fire, the heat, is pushing the clouds away. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right. In this in this episode of Happy Jack's RPG podcast, John from Iowa sends us a comment and counterpoint on free RPG con- content. That's been a very uh, divisive uh, uh, topic. P- people are like, "Hey, I'm offended by that," and then they write in. Uh, Dale writes in about hometown gaming, and Eric from New Jersey hens- sends us a horror story, which is my favorite. Uh, if, but, if, but first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We have a forum, happyjacksforum.com. That's happyjacksforum.com. We're on the social medias. Uh, happyjacksrpg, all in word, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and MeWe. And if you'd like to watch the show live, go to happyjacks.org slash live on Fridays at 7, 18 p.m. Pacific time. And you can see our faces while we talk at you. Dude, how is how is the MeWe community? I know that's your I haven't pride been, and joy. I haven't logged into that in uh, five or six months. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. So, so super active then. So, so it's, it's super active. Yeah, blossoming. Yes. <laughs> Running wild. I mean, for all you know, it could be. It might so, be. So you're not going to go back. It's like 74,000 members. And like, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that would be funny. I, I doubt it, but who knows? Maybe. Oh, and by the way, for those of you that care, my second book is out. Yes. Nice. I just got them both on Kindle. Oh, good. Thank you. So, uh, you know, I'm supporting your habit. Yeah, that's what it is. It's become, it's, <laughs> it's, it's my hobby since we don't have a band right now. Right, yeah. <laughs> didn't write novels. Yeah, well, the, the band was like, oh, man, Stu seems really preoccupied. I'm like, oh, dude, we can't rehearse or perform. He's got all these painting his house and writing books. And right, yeah. My house is about a third painted, but then it 
started getting into the high 90s outside and it's like nope nope not gonna do it not yep, gonna do yep. it and you, and you built like what devil's tower out of mashed potatoes and you're yeah, like, I did. All yeah. Kinds of, oh yeah, yeah. i did <laughs> like what kind of demons you have in your head that you have to keep yourself this occupied <laughs> i'm always busy doing something <laughs> the nice thing about the nice thing about the writing, I mean, I wrote the for the first book took me a little less than a month. The second book took me two re, two weeks to write the first draft, and then I went doing went back and did a couple more rewrites. So it took about a month total. But the third book's done, and it needs to go to proofing. And then the, I just started the fourth one. I think it's going to be six total, maybe. I'm not sure. So and like I still, November, you'll be done in November. Uh, probably by the end of the year. Probably by the end. Of the year. <laughs> Just think there's people that are out there like, oh man, I've been struggling so much with writer's block. This dude's like, oh, I'm here we go. Time to crack out some magic. <laughs> I wish I'd spent all that all this time writing songs. Because we could have like two or three CDs worth of songs right now. <laughs> yeah, but see the thing is like we can't put them out. We have no way to like actually record them right. unless we do like our our, you know, crazy like iPhone hackage like we did for the couple of things we put out already. Yeah. It's Although tough. some of those sound okay. Some of, don't sound, some of those don't. Some of those don't. I mean, they don't sound like a studio recording, but they don't sound like what you would think it would sound like with a bunch of people recording on their iPhones. You yes, know what I, I mean? should. Um, I don't know if you've worked in Adobe Premiere much, but if you if you have, uh, I should send you the Adobe Premiere file for the Venus, the quarantine Venus one. Uh huh. Because boy, that was a lot of work. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> being the guy who did it. Um, I, not only am I doing all the getting all the video stuff in the right place and how that all comes in, but you know they have like a rudimentary audio mixing system, right? Which I then had to use to actually try to mix everyone's iPhone music. So it was it was good. It came out all right. <laughs> I just can ah. I just canceled my Adobe. Uh, what is it? Creative Cloud or whatever it's called. <gasps> yeah, because it what it went. I went from thirty bucks a month to like fifty five. I'm like, what? And it's like, well, that's the introductory price for the first year. I'm like, well, then, you know what? I'm going to cancel it. And when I need it again, I'll get it. <laughs> right. But I haven't used it in like two or three months. So I'm like, yeah, oh, I guess I, I use it like almost every day. So See, I, yeah, I, I'm shocked. I also subscribe to, to Pro Tools. That's 30 bucks a month as well. And that one I use a lot. Well, I'm not using it right now a lot. But I, sure. I mean, uh, the, like the audiobook version of book one should be out in like a week and a half unless they don't like my audio quality and they want me to like make it louder or quieter or something um and you got like you got like a really high-end professional yeah. voice talent to do that me right? yeah yeah you. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, but the, the reason i mentioned this if you're too cheap to go out and get it when it comes out you can just go to stewvenable.com and i'm i'm rolling out two chapters a week as a podcast and it's on iTunes. Oh nice. If you nice. if you search for Mandite M A N D I G H T on on uh, iTunes you you can subscribe to it and listen to it uh, gratis. So it took a Pretty long nice. time to record. It took a really long time to record. And you'll find out now as i sit here and extemporaneously read this email. <laughs> Hi there happy jackers. Oh, this is a uh, Comment and counterpoint on free RPG content from John in Iowa. Hey there, happy jackers. <clears throat> John from Iowa here. I hope you're all faring well in these difficult times. Uh, a few episodes ago, session 26, episode 18, a listener wrote in on the topic of free slash cheap games. Com commenting on how... See, right there, I would have had to gone back and re-edit. <laughs> commenting on how it took me an hour per chapter. And some of my chapters are only three pages long. 
uh, commenting on how underpriced most RPG content is. The email went on to, to speculate that this is because most RPGers are cheapskates who don't like to pay for good content, and as a result, artists and content creators don't really make enough off their work. I'd like to offer a counterpoint to this opinion and clear up some misconceptions regarding the benefits and detriments of quote-unquote free content. This is a somewhat common sentiment in the RPG community that free content is ruining the industry. That is also in quotes. Uh, Some will use the word hurting instead of ruining. That, in my opinion, is extremely misguided. Nothing could be further from the truth. Literally nothing. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, the earth is flat is more truthful than that statement. Yes. Banana banana pants, monkey brain. Sure. The next statement. Of course. I have nothing against the last part of the email. Yes, it is true that artists and content creators don't make enough money from their work. I'd be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't think these people should get paid more. However, the reason for this is not because RPGers are a bunch of cheapskates. The truth is, all people are cheapskates, and it's human nature that when all else is equal, we'll go for cheaper, free options. Any industry has to live with that. If anything, people in the RPG community are less so since we're kind of... We're the kind of consumers that will constantly spend money on things we really don't need. No, not RPGers. I have exactly the number of dice I need. And that's it. It's all I own. It's all. <laughs> <laughs> um, things we really don't need. Uh, just think about how many RPG products you own versus how many you've played, pay, you've play played. I feel attacked. Mm, I don't know <laughs> if that paragraph really helps the argument, though. <laughs> In my opinion, the RPG is an underpaid industry for two main reasons. One, the market is quite simply too small. That's absolutely true. Uh, There are not enough people to sell to. The RPG market is even smaller when you consider that the vast majority of it is dominated by a single product. We all know which one. The market is... Big guy, small mouth. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Exactly. Can't get away from that fucking game. Oh, Jesus. Uh, the market is oversaturated. I, this is number two, his second point. The market is oversaturated, i.e. the ratio of content creators to content consumers is probably one-to-one. I, I put that in myself. Uh, is too large. Uh, the supply is too big for the demand, and that invariably drives the prices down. Even so, it is important to note that overall the RPG industry is bigger today than it was in the 80s or 90s. Uh, there are a lot more opportunities to create and sell content. However... I think our expectations of it have grown faster than what the actual market can support, hence the oversaturation mentioned in part two. Now, where do free games enter into this? The superficial analysis might tell you that it is because of free games, or more specifically open-source licensed games, like the OGL, that we're in this predicament, i.e. the oversaturation of the market. And that's partially true. If anybody can just freely copy and publish things online, it's going to lead to oversaturation. But it's also the reason behind the explosion of RPGs in the last two decades, the OSR and PBTA craze. Much of the indie, uh, indie scene, even Watsi's huge popularity, could would not be possible without benefits of open source licenses. I don't know if Watsi... Mm. Watsi also ended up creating their biggest competitor by having an OGL in Paizo. Sure, yeah. Um, People initially questioned 
the place of open source software, but now most agree that their, their benefits far outweigh the detriments, which are few indeed. Just like the software industry, the RPG industry benefits from positive network externality. Externality. Uh, I, see, I, I like I had it better your way. Externality. Yeah. <laughs> I, and right there, I'd have to go back and re-record. Uh, <laughs> I.e., the more people put, are, more people are in it, the more beneficial it is to the industry. And that's what free and/or open source content does. It increases network externality. I, I, I just don't know what I still don't know what extern, network externality means. Uh, the increase in user base. Oh. Uh, regardless of how that increase happened, invariably leads to more profits. In conclusion, the answer to making an RP industry more profitable for individuals and companies alike is not so much asking for people's charitable support, because that's ultimately fruitless, but using the power of free games to entice new people into the hobby, we should actively encourage people to play and maintain the popularity of free games so that their user base grows. For the same reasons, content creators should be encouraged to make at least part of their parts part of their products open source so the entire community can benefit. Sincerely, John from Iowa. P.S. While I'm a very strong advocate for free content, there's obviously a balance to how much of it it should be versus paid. Not everything will be free. A lot of successful small companies have adopted the practice of making their core rules free while selling supplements and adventure modules. That seems to work well for them. PPS, I realize I've based part of my argument on an analogy between RPGs and software and understand that analogy isn't perfect. However, I think the two industries share enough in common for the argument to be sensible. After all, the benefits that are that the RPG industry has had are a result of the OGL, quite similar to the benefits the software industry as a result of the open source movement. The OGL was inspired by the open source movement and both enable bi similar business models, PPPS, drink and have fun. <clears throat> Thoughts? Oh, I will I will drink and have fun. I'm going to go get yeah, a drink. Okay. I'll be right back. Yeah, I need well, to also, go get a drink Don't forget, too. it's, uh, it's, it's uh, New Year's Eve for our Jewish listeners. Oh, oh that's right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've, I've got, uh, if you're going to get some drinks, you go get them. Um, I am having uh, this amazing uh, bourbon whiskey, Deceptivus. Mm. Not that that's anything about uh, the date, but it is, uh, it's fantastic. It's uh, in Portuguese port barrels. Um, so I will wax philosophical. Now, uh, while the other lads are gone, so while I have you, and it's just us having our conversation, uh, I do think that there is an awful lot of RPGs out there. I've just started, um, Elspeth and I have just started our own company and started publishing our own stuff. Um, if you'd like to, if you play Traveler and would like to support that, I encourage you to go to, um, up to the, that fine, fine distributor of RPG content, drive through RPG. And if you just search for Knights of Solaris, uh, like, like, uh, Medieval Knights with a K, um, you will find our, uh, our basically career path book for uh, for Traveler that uh, lets you bring in uh, sun sword wielding wizardy characters set in a Traveler timeline. Ah, sweet, sweet Jamesons. Um, so I've been doing a lot of, of dipping into, um, you know, not just playing RPGs, but what does it take to be writing supplements or writing systems and publishing those. 
And there is a staggering amount of content, a staggering amount of content. If you're on Twitter and kind of get into the TTRPG Twitter feeds, I mean, and it's and it's inventive and smart and cool, and a lot of it is just out there as part of as part of jams and part of uh, you know people like putting stuff out to just drive you know viewers for a Patreon, which maybe isn't free. Right, but it's certainly not the traditional methodology of, of creating and selling those. Um, it, it's it is it is too much to keep up with, right? They there was a couple of like amazing bundles that got put together that that actually had hundreds of tabletop RPG pieces in them, right? More than you could ever play in your lifetime, right? Um, you know, unless you're basically like playing every night and you're like, okay, here's the one shot. Okay, here's the next one shot. Here's the next one shot. But you you have um, to learn the system well enough to run it. As well, right. So. Well, the thing that's interesting is an awful lot of the free things are either based off of um, a commonality of systems, right? So they're that's true. They're apocalypse hacks, right? Or whoa, Tappy, are you just happy to see us? Or what's going on there, man? Hello, your Cthulhu penis is showing. <laughs> um, or or they're they're like these like simple like there's pamphlet tabletop RPGs. You know, or like, or like, two side, you know, one side RPGs where you can get them and like you can play them in no time at all. Oh yeah, right? yeah. There's a, um, there's like a whole there was a, it's some, it's somewhere on the internet. There's a whole page, a whole web catalog of one page RPGs. Right. You know, and that's that's all pretty much free content. You know, we're um, like right now um, in my in my home game group. Um, we actually are doing. We had a, a campaign going for a while of, of Starfleet of uh, Star Trek Adventures. Sorry, um, and so now what we've been doing is we were like, hey, let's play some one shots or some like two evening session games. And so uh, I've been running um, a hack uh, called um, uh, Cozy Town, which is basically a, a hack of the Quiet Year. Oh, cool! And. As opposed to, you know, there's this impending thing that's going to happen. You have this quiet year before the end of everything occurs or you know, whatever usually happens in the quiet year. This one's all about, like, everything you do is to make things, like, colorful and cheery and and happy. And so, like, we're we're in Mossy Beddington and Twig Top is, like, the big tree. We're all, the, like, we're all anthropomorphic animals. Like, it's just, like, <laughs> like, the warmest, fuzziest, cutest thing ever, right? And it was just, like, I literally went on Google and said, like, like great one shot games. It's like, and the vast majority of them are free. Yeah. Right. So it, if that is your, if that is your jam, right. Writing free stuff and putting it out there. Um, there's a, there's a huge distribution of itch.io. Like there's a massive way to get that in front of people. Oh yeah. But, but boy, is it a super noisy market. Yeah. Right. It's like, if you're making mobile games, right. There's, there's thousands of mobile games that get released every day. Mm-hmm. Across platforms, right? Which is why, you know, the real expense of making a mobile game to dip into my video game side for a minute is is user acquisition. Is once the game's out, is getting people in, right? Because their monetization is get as many people on top of the funnel for free as possible. Because you want to like get money out of them, and you know this the like one tenth of one percent that's going to ridiculously right. pay you, mm-hmm. or ad that, revenue, right? Or ad revenue, yeah. or it is like tabletop RPGs don't have those mechanics. Right, there's no monetization model for a free RPG that comes out unless you're trying to build up enough of a fan base that when you then come out with something that costs, people are going to buy it. Right. 
I mean, that, that's almost kind of the Savage Worlds model. It wasn't free, but Savage Worlds Explorer Edition, nine ninety five, a mm-hmm. complete RPG for ten bucks. That I mean, now compared to free, that's a lot of money. But compared to most RPGs that cost money, if if you were on a budget and you'd heard of it, you'd get it right away. But let, let's be honest, though. How many people are named Shane Hensley out there? Right. So like some number, already, but not a lot. Yeah, <laughs> turns I out mean, it is it is a non-zero number, <laughs> right? So like, not a lot of people can do that. If you're looking to actually like make a living off of your RPGs, you know, you have like if you release one shots, you're you're never gonna if you if you release one shots for like twenty five cents, you're not gonna make any money, right? Right? Any money whatsoever is not gonna do anything. So then if you go towards, like, actually making a game, like, I, you know, Bill, you got a lot of experience in, like, video games, but me, I've been an independent contractor since, like, the 20th century. So, like, for me, when I'm trying to figure out how much I charge for something, I have to figure out my daily rate. If you have any rate when it comes to uh, an RPG, you you have to get paid for it. So... You, you can't do a one-shot. You can't do the easy things that get out that don't take any time. You have to actually put time into developing it. Hey, Stu, how much time did you have to put into developing your RPG? Oh, fuck. Five, it took me five years. I wasn't working on it full-time, obviously. But right. I, prob- I probably have 300 hours in it. And that's the rub, right? Is that, like, who can, who's, can really be working on it as their full-time job? Right? Because it's not driving revenues. Like, to me... One of the you know you have to you, you have to look at the the ways to actually monetize off of tabletop RPGs. Have that in my mind be your end goal, and then you're using like that like you're investing your time to your point, Tappy. Right, your your hourly that you would normally be planning things into creating this like compelling, interesting free content to get as many people as possible interested into what your next thing is. So when you start your Patreon or do your Kickstarter or whatever it is, you've got that built-in base for like all. Oh, Oh yeah, I, I did this and this and this, and I love what this person does. I want to support them, and I'm going to get in their Kickstarter. Like that, in my mind, is where that becomes useful in terms of how do I turn that into money. Right, but then you have to stand out and have people know who you are, like you were saying before with mobiles. And yep. if you are not a marketing genius or don't have lots of money, or the time to do it, because it takes probably as much time to promote something as it does to create it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm complete shit at promoting. Like when I had my own like sushi catering business, I closed that shit in six months. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just I'm not good at it. Well, nine eleven also happened, uh, so that that didn't help. But you know, marketing is really really difficult and takes up a, a, even more time. So if you're creating great free content, how do you make it stand out? It fits if there's this glut of all of this other stuff. And it's even in places, how do people even know to look for it? Like, this guy is saying, you know, it gets new people into the hobby. I mean, if things like Critical conv- Role get new people into the hobby, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. Right, I mean, like, they, and it's interesting, like, where they found a way to monetize RPGs is not by making them. Right. Right? It's, <laughs> it's like, it's almost like, in a lot of ways, uh, if you think about it, it's like, it's like professional sports. Right, like Adder Doubleday didn't make a bunch of money, but boy, people that play baseball sure do. Right, right. You know, the guy who first hung up some peach baskets against a piece of wood to throw a ball into didn't become rich, but you know, Alan Iverson did pretty good. Like it's, it's, 
it's that kind of thing where sometimes it's the players of those games, right? right? That that find a way to monetize that. I think it's it's super interesting because it's there's this back and forth. Like without the in in some of those cases, without that that original content to leverage off of, without the games to play, the people that play them then don't get that level, you know, of, of an opportunity to to do well in that space. Um, you know, and, and it's really hard. I mean, you know, it's for anybody that's sat down, even just like tried to write or come up with a game system, or how would I describe doing this? Right? It is it is a ton of work, a ton, a ton, a ton of work. Um, even if you're doing something as simple, air quotes, as I'm doing a Dungeon World hack, right? I'm doing a Power by the Apocalypse game. I'm doing something based off of Fate, where there's a rule set that's there, or or a you know an OG uh, OGL type game. That's still a ton of work, even if you aren't creating a new system from whole cloth. Right. And, you know, it's, you almost have to, you know, somehow capture lightning in a bottle because you made something that somehow stood out. And to your point, Tappy, the problem with that is like, how do you, how do you get that level of noise? Right. I mean, it's almost like it's, it's like almost any entertainment industry. You kind of got to know somebody. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if I was writing something like a campaign or whatever, you know, you got to spend a ton of time on social media. Hopefully, I think in some ways, find someone who's got an audience who likes what you're doing and might give you a shout out. Right. right? I mean, you know, I used to think that like, oh, I'll have a lot of followers on Twitter and I, I got 2,400. Big deal. I love everybody who like ever replies to any stupid tweet I put out. <laughs> right. But then I look at other people. I'm like, oh, oh, who's this person? Wow. They have like, you know, 18 million, 20, 27,000, <laughs> oh, 143,000 followers. Like, mm. like, all right. That's like that level, that level of beyond, beyond and beyond. Right. Mm. And oh, look, I'm an old white guy. Right. I'm happy that I can, you know, still remember how to launch a browser and, you know, and go online and do stuff. Um, like that, that's that that connection, that savvy is so important to building that brand, whatever it is. Absolutely. So if you're doing free stuff, like I love it and I, and I try to play it and I like what they have now is there's a lot of these, these free RPGs that come out that give you the opportunity to like tip the creator. Mm-hmm. It's like, look, if you want to get it, if you don't have money, like that's cool. Go ahead and take it. But Hey, if you want to throw a couple bucks at my, my coffee account, or you want to leave a tip for the creator because it's through itch.io or whatever, like, you know, at least there's something. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 difficult. Like, in this uh, email, one of the things that I think he was trying to say was, uh, like, for his argument, but I think it was against it, where, um, mm-hmm. let's see if I can go to that. Um, oh, everyone is cheapskate. So if there's anything free, everybody will just take the free stuff. Well. All other, all other, all other things being equal. Yeah. Yeah. And so, with that being said, though, if you're if you're using that as a model, then free stuff really is a detriment to people who are trying to put the time and effort to make games, but aren't necessarily like, you know, uh, well-established game you designers. Know, I don't know if I agree with that statement hmm. because sometimes, I mean, like if if you're if you're going to do something and and it's something that's critical to you, let's say. Let's say you're a graphic designer. You're going to go out and you're going to go out and you're going to get Adobe Creative Suite rather than use GIMP. Because yeah, GIMP does what it can do and and if you get good at it, you can probably be as proficient as you could be in Photoshop. 
But you never know how long GIMP is going to be there, and if 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 the people who have been making it for free for all these years may someday throw up their hands and say, "Oh, I'm, I can't do this anymore. I got another job or whatever." And suddenly it's no longer supported, and then they find out, oh, it's got vulnerabilities in it, and next thing you know, it's dangerous software to run. Something like that. And, and I think that may be one of the reasons, so, I mean, D&D has its market share for a lot of reasons. A, it was first, and that's probably the biggest one. And, but mm-hmm. the other thing is, a lot of stuff comes out to support it. I mean, 5th edition... Not, oh, little of that stuff is coming out of Watsi, but if you go back to first or second edition D anD D, you had okay. Here's your here's your three big books. Oh, here's a fiend folio. Oh, here's you know a, a, something else with more character classes in it. Oh, here, here's a bunch of modules that we're coming out with probably five or six a year. And there's and and the, having that level of support for it, I think that may be one of the reasons why D anD D has remained. As, as popular, and the reason Paizo mm-hmm. has has been able to maintain their market share is because of the fact that they're they're supporting they're supporting their games. It's not like I'm going to come out with a one shot and it's going to be there. It's like if you want to invest in a game and make that game the hobby, not just RPGs. Picking D and D or or Pathfinder could be kind of attractive because. New stuff is going to be coming out. More interesting things, things that might you know uh, help you come up with new adventure ideas or new uh, or uh, you know new campaign ideas and stuff like that. So I I mean, sure. All things being equal, you're going to pick free. But if you if it's an investment, if it's something mm-hmm. that you're going to want to do a lot of. You're, it's going to be something that you're going to want sort of the knowledge base of it to grow over time. And I mean, you're not going to get that out of a, you know a, a single sheet free one-shot RPG. Or, or a, not a one-shot RPG, but a single sheet RPG or something for free. Go ahead, Debbie. Well, yeah. Uh, well, I, I think that's what's important about like development. Because those RPGs have... A many many years of iterative development where they're like, oh that didn't work, let's do this. Oh that really didn't fucking work, let's do this. And now we're on to fifth edition where you have people who are in there who've probably been playing it most of their lives, who who uh, have really liked the time and effort to like figure out what do systems do, why do we use them, what is fun about them, what isn't fun about them, you know what what is the point of a system. And I think a lot of people make RPGs, especially as a hobby or like starting out or whatever, don't really like have that concept together. And that's why we have a lot of noise where it doesn't really make sense. There's no uh, continuity in anything because you have all these people just doing all this random stuff. When you have people developing and people who like take the time and effort to learn how to develop games and why you develop games and what what a system is supposed to do for you as opposed to like what numbers you think it should do or how your brain works um i think then you start getting elegant systems then you start getting stuff where people are excited about and want to jump onto it like the the concepts behind uh uh, Apocalypse World are very different than most other games. And there's, you know, a one page, this is why I made this game. Mm-hmm. And it's very 
kind of simple and specific for that style of game. And I think he really knew uh, the the type of flow and the type, like, why he wanted the system to work the way it did. And that's why it's super popular. But I think ni- at least 90% of the Apocalypse World hacks are complete crap and don't really understand why that system is so elegant, why it works so well, why it gets out of the way of your role-playing. And so games like that should be monetized and have people jump onto it and, you know, try and get to have that iterative design and get better and better. But it's too chaotic. Like, you know, uh, I don't really know how to... I mean, part of the trouble, I think, is people who talk about role-playing games. We don't have a good... Uh, way of critiquing games. Like, what's good about this game? Why do you like uh, Starfleet Adventures? What, what specifically, how does it support you? How does it get it out of the way of your role-playing? How does it make it so that the game is fun? Um, I don't think we really have that vocabulary, especially in the like role-playing community at large. We just have things like hippie games or crunchy games or whatever games. We, you know we're not what good I mean? at, we're not, this is not a hobby that's good at vocabulary words. Right. You ask anyone, they've all got different it's not, it's definitions. It's not good at creating a synopsis, right? It's not good at, at, at like, and some of the words we choose are are, are really insular, right? It's like right. if you were like, oh, tabletop game, crunchy, like hippie, like uh, what does that even mean, right? Right. I mean, it's it's something that any gaming struggles with. The other thing too, like you were talking about, like things just being a mess, right? Like just uh, like our the market data for the tabletop RPG industry is a disaster, right? There's no codified reporting structure right on in video games there are like specific groups that this is what they do and they gather all the data and they gather from retail and they get like you know they and you can you can get complete market sizes and you know it's like half of what comes out through tabletop is like it's it's guesswork right there's they're part of like they're they're like all print media right so they come through like a three-tier distribution network you got, you know, like drive through RPG or like Pfizer sells directly or people sell independently, right? And you, a lot of these companies don't report their sales, right? Like they're they don't re- formally release data. Um, like drive through RPG doesn't formally release data. Wow. Yeah. Holy and, shit! I didn't know that. Well, you yeah, can, you so can find you out what you like sold. Gotta, you know. You'd have to, I mean, they, like, you know what you did. Right. There's no way to go and say, like, oh, how many units of what was sold through here in any kind of, you know, broadly drawn in fashion. Um, there's a great market research firm called ICV2. Yeah. Which does market reports um, on stuff. Like, their latest for spring of 2020, like, they put out, like, here's the top five role-playing games in the hobby channel. It reflects sales. But those charts are based on interviews with retailers, distributors, and manufacturers. Interviews, not data that's reported out anywhere. Right. Oh, wow. Right? So they got to go and like, hey, we're going to start like having some correspondence with people and get some, yeah, and okay, well, number one was D&D, and number two was Pathfinder, and number three was 5e compatible stuff, and number four was Starfinder, and number five was Cyberpunk. There's our top five list. Right. Based on <laughs> like emails and phone calls. Mm-hmm. Like, so even knowing, you know, like, and you can kind of dissect it more. Like there's a company, the ORR group, puts out a report every quarter around what gets played on Roll20, right, where they can get some data. And they'll show you of the people that are playing, like, you know, campaigns on Roll20, here's the percentage of the systems they use. Like, it's, there's no good way, right? There's no, we used to talk about this 
in the in the video game side, in terms of when we were trying to convince people like PC gaming is huge. You keep hearing how PC is dead, but PC gaming is huge. The difference is there's no app store reporting for PC gaming, right? Uh-huh. Like like Blizzard doesn't put out their their numbers for you know in detail around Hearthstone or WoW or anything, and you multiply that across. You know, World of Tanks and like you know any big popular online PC based game you can think of. There's no codified reporting for that. Unlike if you subscribe to App Annie and you can like every day, like twice, three, four times a day, you like go, oh, here's the update on what every game in the App Store did. I know exactly their unit sales. I know exactly what they made. You know, I can I can check KPIs against key performance indicators against it. It's like there's so much more information there, right? And we just don't have that in the RPG space. So there's all these, you, you kind of don't, all you know is that like the two or three games you hear about a lot must be the big dogs. Right. right? It's, it's D&D, it's Paizo, and then you're probably down into like Savage Worlds, you know, maybe. Well, I, maybe I brought Cthulhu. up OR, I brought up the ORR thing. Yeah. A la- this is last year's numbers. 51% was D&D 5e. Yeah, I have I have the spring twenty twenty report Q two twenty twenty fifty three percent was D and D five e and was the next one uncategorized uh, and then uncategorized so just then taking everything that That's doesn't helpful. follow a category right and then it's like Call of Cthulhu Pathfinder Pathfinder Second Edition three point five Warhammer World of Darkness but I mean the difference is D and D five e fifty three percent uncategorized sixteen point five two right wow <laughs> Pathfinder which we all like Pathfinder man they bet four percent. Four percent of Roll Twenty games are Pathfinder, right? So it's just like you got D and D, and then it's like everybody else duking it out, right? But, but, but the thing I, I actually like is that there are a lot of people with all these kind of things stacked against you that are finding ways to go out there and do stuff, right? And there are some people that are even doing like it's like that it's like that day job, and then I play in a band at night, and my day job is I make five e supplements. Because I know I can go make a lot of money. Right. I can make some money off of those. And I do my passion project and putting out my like my system, right, or my other stuff, or you know they'll and it's it's really it's really tough, right? Because it's a it's a it's a the you know Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, to some degree, all respects, right? It's where everything came from, right? It was the for in terms of tabletop role playing game, it was the first one out. But boy, at the same time, it's like super polarizing, and you know, there's it, it, it's it's a it's a to be a really tough community <laughs> to right. watch people engaging, <laughs> um, you know. And there's there's such incredible inventive work being done, you know. Even to the point, like one thing I've started really getting into is is single player RPGs, journaling RPGs, mm-hmm. where basically it self guides you through basic like creating a world or character, but it's all you. And you get to the end, and you're like, oh wow, I just kind of got guided through a, a story that was really cool hmm. right the, the the concept of what rpg means you know when we talk about hippie games has like really broadened and there's some just like fantastic and wonderful things to learn from those that i i do really wish that people that were more entrenched in the standardized i'm a 5e player this is how it is if it's not in the player's handbook it's crap. <laughs> like those people like, <laughs> embrace some of this stuff because there's a really cool storytelling stuff there. And I don't want to believe that, well, every D and D five B player just cares about loot and, nah. you know, and getting stuff. And they don't really care about stories and characters. Cause I just don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, unless of course they're, you know, 
playing through uh, all the pre-gen modules. Like I had my one horrible experience at a con doing. Right. <laughs> all right. Uh, should we go on the next one? Uh, hometown Gaming? Yeah, great topic. Boy, what a good thing. Thank you, John, for my Did we have an idea? Did we actually answer that? Well, you didn't really you know, ask I a think- question. Yeah, I think it was more like there's kind of, we had a lot of chewing to do, right? So yeah, um, you know, and I agree. Like the last thing in the second PPS was like that. You know, John used a an analogy between RPGs and software, right? Um, which definitely is the case. Uh, but a lot of that is just not only distribution methods, but just like on the software side, we have so many tools to track what happens, right? Not only with the marketplace, but with our players. Right, I'm getting like, you know, and depending on what platform I'm on, instantaneous data almost on what, what players are doing, what they're not doing, what they like, what they're buying, what they're not buying, right? And you can have this kind of constant, almost real-time tuning of what happens there. Um, so, boy, a lot harder in the tabletop space. So uh, it's like everybody who's making tabletop RPGs, like you're doing God's work. As far as I'm concerned, yeah, you know, or some or some deity's work, Cthulhu, whatever your god is, <laughs> you're doing their work. All right, uh, hometown gaming from Dale. Who wants to read that? Oh, I I only like pre-read the first one, so I have no idea what that one says. <laughs> the second I mean, one's short. The, the third one's a little longer. Okay, okay. I think I'm going to do this one. All right, all right, hometown gaming from Dale. Uh, first off, let me just say that I'm enjoying your podcast immensely. Thank you. It has made gaming in this dark time much better, especially since I'm only able to meet with my group online right now. That's because online gaming is the best. <laughs> um, I have very strong <laughs> opinions about that. Uh, now, on to the topic. When it comes to historical or even modern or near future games, have you ever run or had an urge to run a game set in the city where you live? Does running such a game hold a special place in your polyhedral hearts, or is it something you avoid at all costs, and why? From my own experience, I have mixed feelings. I've lived in a number of places over the years, but I would never run a game set in my childhood hometown. Running a game set in a larger city I've lived in, like Sioux City or Omaha, I have no problem with. I've even ported the concept of Omaha, historically known as the gateway to the West, into science fiction gaming's uh, with the or, <coughs> or is that science fiction or is that San Francisco? Probably SF, gaming. SF gaming. I don't know. With the idea of super Port fun. Omaha, super, super fun, fun super friendly. Uh, granted, it can be bit a bit of a challenge when you're a newcomer or transplant plant like myself. But if you have good friends and players to help you fill in the blanks for the game lore, it lightens the load and makes the game a labor of love for everyone involved. Uh, thanks for making this dark time a bit brighter and keeping the gaming flame alive. I I will often, even if I don't mention it, base in-game places on places I'm familiar with because it makes it super easy to come up with stuff. And yeah, you can come up with descriptions and tweak them just a little bit and, and just extemporaneously describe, oh, is there a whatever shop oh yeah there is it's over here it's on this little street there's a little grove of trees out in front of it and that you know and you can describe actual places you know and the players never really figure it out it's not exactly what he's asking about but i do that all the time well yeah you've run games that are like actually where you're living yes i mean the the very living the very first actual play we did was ghostbusters la and it was Mm -hmm. based in pasadena it was based at a house that the, the the headquarters of that this 
franchise of the Ghostbusters was like a three-story Victorian house that's a block and a half away from me. And that's where the game started. And, and every place they went to was places I'm familiar with because it's where I live. So I I've absol- absolutely have done that. I, I, I wouldn't, have, wouldn't have a problem with it. I mean, if you're running a modern game or, you know, a slightly historical game, I think that'd be pretty easy to do. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why Doctor Who happened in Cardiff a lot. It's where it's so filmed? in Cardiff. Okay. Right. right. So, I mean, there, there's always in Wales, in southern Wales, right? Um, and so, because they have all the stuff there. And I think that's a great way to kind of run your games. And you can skin it with other things, but, like, this is where all your stuff lives. I think it becomes really easy. And it becomes a lot easier to, like... Uh, immerse your players that this is a really real thing, a really real place, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, uh, a town that has a bar somewhere, and then maybe there's a house somewhere as well that they, and those are the only two locations they know of. Right. I mean, right now I'm running a Monster of the Week game that is set in London, 1887. And the reason I, I apply this to this is that I got to live in London for a couple of years, which gave me a completely different viewpoint on like where things are, what's interesting, what's important, what I know I can latch on to, right? Um, and also, for that case, like what the history of that city is for what would have been there and what wouldn't have been there, right, in 1887. Like, interestingly enough, there was actually um, a complete part of the London Underground built by 1887, though it was using everything from horse-drawn carriages to steam engines to actually traverse it. Wow. If the players are like, we want to get to this part of London, what's the fastest way there? It's like, oh, well, you could take the underground, right? But (laughs) but it's not what you think it's going to be. It's really different. Um, The last session we played ended up with them um, basically tracking... Their fears came true that they did actually track a mummy to to the British Museum. Right, so it's like as you come in the front, as you as you come in through the through the side door when you find the unconscious guard and past the Rosetta Stone, you move into the Egypt because like it's there's a bit of like I know the layout, so I can speak more to to the setting. Right, mm-hmm. um, the the thing I I worry about, and I'd be interested to know if both of you who've run things in local areas is like I get stressed as a GM over like trying to make sure that it's accurate. So if I say a thing is someplace and it's actually there, right? Even in a Monster of the Week where it's like, so a lot of the things, because, you know, um, spiritual, like spiritualism was like huge in the Victorian era, right? And there was an awful lot of con artists that were doing that. We're taking the assumption that a lot of that stuff was real, right? That's kind of the alternate history view I'm taking on for this game. But still, it's like, I don't want to say, like, oh, you go there. You're like, well, that's not where Parliament is, right? <laughs> like, so just knowing where things really are, um, which which you kind of get to, I think, do more on the fly when it's a place you you are making up as you go along. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I like just I'll absolutely just make stuff up on the fly and just like, all right, well, this is here now. Um, but I also like, I mean, one of the cities I love putting games in is San Dimas because I lived right next to San Dimas <laughs> but also you guys know this but not a lot of other people know this who aren't in local to this area right it's where Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is San Dimas High School Football Rules Woo! 
Sorry. It, they act well. They kicked the ever-leading snot out of us. Like, <laughs> I mean, our football team. I lived in Laverne the next turn over, and like, um, we we scored for the first time the entire time I was in high school, my uh, junior year, and we lost our minds. Uh, we won a game, the last game of the year. We won my senior year, and there is almost a riot. And nobody liked. Well, I just say nobody liked football. Everybody was. The football games were an easy excuse to have something to do because San Dimas, there's nothing to do. And the entire town is themed Western. And most people don't know that that Main Street in San Dimas has these facades up, like these wooden, fake, like old timey Western facades where, and, and there's still like a place where you can buy like shit for your horse and stuff like that. Oh, man. So it's, it's awesome because whatever, t- what other town in like Southern California is a theme town. So, you know, like stupid shit like that. I, I enjoy throwing in because again, like it's not something I would ever think of to do on my own, but because, you know, San Dimas where the high school football rules uh, has this is, is themed Western that opens up a whole bunch of other stuff you can do, including people who think that's actually Western times. Well, that, that, isn't raging waters there? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. Which was Waterloo. Waterloo, yeah, that in uh, yeah in the movie. Um, and Benelli Park is that big lake that's there. <laughs> There's nothing to do in that fucking town. It was awful. <laughs> Raging Waters. Has anybody watched the um, sequel? Has anybody seen the sequel? Oh, the newest one. The, the yeah, I have not watched it yet. One? No, no, no I've not seen it. Is it any good? I've I've heard mixed reviews. Some people are like, "Oh, this is exactly what we need in these dark times." Other people are like, "Oh, they're like." 60 years old, why are these dudes like going like, like, you know, like it was hilarious when they were in their 20s. It's right. really sad now. Well, I so. mean, the, the, the original sequel to it was pretty terrible too, with a giant yeah. Martian yeah. butt and You know, they probably death. shouldn't have called yeah. it Pretty Terrible too. That's your first problem with a sequel. <laughs> yeah. You can get away with Pretty Terrible, but Pretty Terrible too. <laughs> uh... All right. Uh, oh, that's good. Um, cool. Anything else on this, or we can go ahead and go on to the horror story because they're my favorite. I think, I think yeah. Ron, yes. I think uh, thank you, Dale. Thank you for the email. All right, thank I'll you, read a horror story from Eric in New Jersey. <clears throat> um, I joined a 5e D&D group made of people I enjoy playing with. We had done some 3e stuff in the past, like butt stuff, but for RPG players. Um, uh, and they are close Wait, LARPing three? friends of mine. Oh, three, three, did you mean three, five, or actually three? Because three was only out for, what, like a year? I read read that as third exit, like three years. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't really know what that is. (laughs) Wasn't that to be the first exit, though? I don't know. No, it's the second or second exit, number two, but I don't know if it's the third exit. Anyway, they had done some three E stuff in the past, and they are close LARPing friends of mine. The GM who's running the game checks off a lot of boxes in terms of being willing to use funny voices, because part of his living is doing audiobooks and the like, and greatly being supportive of the players to the point of letting someone completely remake their character to better fit within the functionality of the group. Since in D&D, you have to have certain classes to even survive pre-written modules, it seems. He's a great guy and has several good traits as a GM. Now, I made a bard. You can see how this is going to go. No, not your horny type bard, but somebody based <laughs> off the band The Who, w, uh, which is uh, The Who, which is H-U. Um, check out their song, Wolf Totem, which, by the way, after I read this email, I went and did, and 
they are fucking sick. They're amazing. <laughs> They're awesome. Um, it's like throat singing hard rock. It's oh, amazing. I think I've I think I've seen these guys. I didn't know who it was though. Oh yeah, they're fantastic. Please, please check them out. Um, and I came to my first session in eager anticipation. I spent the first half of the day waiting for my character to be introduced. At one point, the GM, seeing my frustration at this, let me play an NPC that was adventuring with them. Well, I played her until she got eaten by something in a large pile of sludge, and then I waited some more turns. And it ends up that the GM was waiting for the players to use a magical device to contact their superiors so that I could be sent as a reinforcement. All in all, I waited half the session to be introduced oh, and to start playing my character. And I didn't hold this against the GM too much because I've made the same mistake of not introducing someone until it was right for the story when really I should have been more concerned with player engagement. So it wasn't something that I was going to be bitter about. Next session, we ended up fighting two golden statues early on. This fight took an hour and a half oh boy. against two golden statues. That's nothing. Well, no, it's third edition or fourth edition? 5e. This is their 5e Five. game. Okay. All right. right. This is the 5e game. This is his former third exit LARPers he's playing with, but this is his 5e game. I've, I've had four or five hour combats in 4e. Now, fifth <laughs> exit. Fifth exit. So, no, no, wait, Stu. It gets better. Okay. <laughs> I just chalked it up to being D&D and us being now fifth or sixth level, so I knew some combats were going to drag. Then came the following session. We were trying to retrieve someone who ran away and joined a circus for some sort of blood god. <laughs> Like you do. Um, that sounds awesome. That's amazing. Um, we got to the circus and saw the beginnings of how they were going to try to sacrifice the poor being we were trying to save. Being the bard, I decided to go to the ringmaster and try to have a conversation with him, at least maybe giving us a few rounds to get into position, maybe getting the guy without a fight at best. Well, I thought I rolled pretty well, but apparently a good roll is a critical failure because I was told I just convinced the ringmaster that I wanted to be a part of the sacrifice too. What? More blood for the blood god. Roll for initiative. Now, to be honest, I felt a little railroaded. Really? <laughs> <laughs> then we proceeded to have a fight that lasted the entire session. <clears throat> okay, there you go. That's that's D and D. Then. I reminded myself it was D&D. <laughs> and after the adventure is over, decided to tell the others that I was not coming back. Because I want to roleplay, I'm not interested in all this combat. Now, the others had a grand old time, and I felt crappy that I was so miserable. But it wasn't just scratching the itch that I needed by playing an RPG. Hell, I felt far more engaged in Uncommon Man's Forbidden Lands play-by-post game than I did these D&D <laughs> sessions. <laughs> Now, I really don't fault anyone majorly. It's just something where I am not into a certain style of game. <sighs> anyway, I hope all is well with you. Stay healthy, stay drunk, and stay diverse. Sincerely, Eric from New Jersey. So, you know, good on you, Eric, for getting out. Yeah. Right? You gave it a couple of yeah. sessions, and you were like, I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying it's not me. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, like, if the guy was also a LARPer used to, A, talking to everybody all the time, and B, once combat starts, the game's over. Right. Um, I mean, there was a vampire game I used to play in, and, you know, uh, oftentimes I'd just be off to the side, wouldn't even get engaged in the main area, because, you know, 45 minutes into the game, combat would start, and then it would go for four hours. So In a LARP? I thought LARP combat went quickly. That's always been my perception. Not that, 
Not back in the uh, White Wolf days when you're doing rock, paper, scissors and you have like 12 people doing it. Oh my god. Yeah. Isn't that like um, rock, paper, clusterfuck? What is that actually called? <laughs> <laughs> Ro- Ro- Rochambukaki? Rosh- There's some better name for that, I think. It's, what it, what it really is is that uh, if, if you uh, are friends with the, um, uh, the guy who runs the game, you get to win. Right, oh. and it's just totally stacked in your favor. If you have like, you can have all these things that stack in your favor, and you just don't lose. So there's no real point in doing. It. If somebody, if you see somebody hanging out with the GM, you just don't fight that guy. <laughs> I'm boy, I'm getting more and more interested in LARPing. Oh yeah, yeah, sounds very engaging. No, yeah. you know what? I will say right now, I would love to LARP because I'd see some fucking people. Right, so I'm in. I'm totally yeah. in. So <laughs> LARPing too. is awesome if nobody fights, and that's why you know uh, vampires set up the way it was, where you'd all be in Elysium and nobody could fight. Right, and well, so and, 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 L, was, and L5R LARPs are almost always Winter Court. Mm. So again, you for the very fight. same if you, reason, if you set them up in these sort of like situations in which you are heavily penalized for fighting or just simply killed by everybody, mm-hmm. um, you know, would be a great LARP. Then God, DS Nine would make for a great LARP. Oh yeah, oh yeah, like really fighting mm-hmm. on the station very right. much, like rarely, mm-hmm. very rarely. But yeah. like what a like super rich storytelling environment. Mm, okay, mm-hmm. now I might be in. I might be in. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure you know the or San Dimas. Well. San Dimas would be a good LARP too. <clears throat> yeah, San Dimas would be great place to LARP. The, um, Bill and Ted the RPG. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, a good portion of D and D five D and D has always been a board game. Yeah, and so if you don't want to play a board game, don't play the game. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's it's definitely more so now, right? Or, or not now? Five E or four E? Four E was a real board game. Well, yeah. that was that was. That was, you know, that was all about I'm moving my miniatures and tactics, right? And, and they made a, um, a whole classification crazy. of classes that just manipulated how things moved on the board. Remember the, there was the controller? Remember they had, mm-hmm. I, don't, I can't remember what they called them, but there was there were certain classes that were controller classes. And they moved people or allowed people to move in certain times. Mm-hmm. There's almost no way you could play that game without a map. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that's and that's you know it's really interesting because one of the things that especially now I've enjoyed is being able to play RPGs that are even though there may be combat are more focused on that combat being extrapolated in a way where I don't need a map. Yeah. Right. It's more like you're close or you're far or you're you know I'm going to do this move. Okay, that results in this. Right. Where it's more derived from the the telling of what you're going to do rather than the tactical placement. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm I, I'm thinking the next game I want to run is going to be a GURPS fantasy game. Mm. Just plain old regular fantasy in GURPS. The next once one of the two campaigns ends. Oh, by the way, Stu. Speaking of GURPS, I'm going to send you all the books. Oh, okay. I have. I don't know if you saw that on our on our internal Slack, but I Excellent. have like I, I'm going through and clearing out all this old RPG stuff I have that I'm I'm like not going to use. And I found like a grip of books that were from when we were roommates. Oh, really? Right. And it's like the prisoner book, mm-hmm. you know, this way like that. And I realized I was like, oh, I'll see if anybody like in our, you know, inner inner cabal, 
and Happy Jacks might want those. And then I looked at it and was like, oh, oh I, like, most of these are stews. I should just return them. <laughs> <laughs> your, your problem. So, so wait, when you say The Prisoner, do you mean like the old TV show? Yeah. Oh, oh, keep, keep talking, boys. I'll go get it. I'll oh, yeah, it. absolutely. That's awesome. Oh, they did. Are you serious? Oh, my God. They did so many supplements for, for second and third edition. It was amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. They did, I mean, did, did, you, did you ever read the Hugh Manks novels by Alan Dean Foster? They did a, no, I did not. They did a world book for that that series of books, and it's only like six books. And they did a whole mm-hmm. a whole world. Of, he's got it. He's probably got it right there. See, I've got the I've got the GURPS one and two compendium. Right. Mm-hmm. That, right. That, that fixed the those are the books that fixed the game. Those are the books that fixed the game. <laughs> I've got GURPS horror. Right, a classic book. A classic. Right. Um, the the exceptional GURPS goblins. <laughs> oh, I would like, love to run a goblin game. That sounds that. like fun. And the prisoner. <gasps> yeah, that's oh, awesome. <laughs> See, the village like, would be such a great storytelling environment, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and it's great, right? It's like how to run a game in the village. <sighs> I mean, paranoia would be a great way, great system for that too. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it but, is the, um, probably is the default yeah, system. Yeah, it's it's great, right? It's super cool. Um, I, I've I've got a couple other books that I'm not getting rid of, like some of the really early Gerb's core books and the Magic book that you guys all signed. To oh me right, because yeah. in the original Magic, that's one of the, for when, when I moved out of La Mirada. Most of, most of that stuff I gave to Casey, but I did keep my signed copy from Steve Jackson of Gerb's Grimoire. I think no, it's Gerb's the, Magic. No, well, GURPS Grimoire was the second mm. magic book for second edition, and that's the one right. that included the spells that we that we ended up coming up with in our in our campaign. Right. Yeah. So it was, but I've got the one that like basically the whole group like you signed it, and, like Stevie signed right. it. See, I think Aldrich. when they came out with a third edition magic book, I think they included those spells and also included our our credits in that one as well. Because that's when we came up with like the technolo- some of the technological magic. Mm-hmm. And we, that's when I, came, I got so tired of mages being able to cast teleport to get out of fights that I invented a spell called Teleport Trace, which is a reaction spell that, that another mage can cast, and it will basically allow them to follow someone who's teleported. And they will end up in a relatively the same position wherever they end up. Yeah, there was. We found a lot of bra- a lot of broken spells. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Levitation was the one of my favorite. Oh yeah, it's like I'm going to send him- apportation. Apportation, yeah. You get. You, I'm going to send him straight up in the air at one meter a second for a minute, and I don't have to concentrate on it because it's a regular spell. So yeah. and it has and a duration of a minute. Who wants to go for shawarma? <laughs> <laughs> and and a and a sixty meter fall. In GURPS, not in not necessarily in D and D if you're high enough level, but in GURPS is pretty much always going to kill you. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, if you built a, if you had a character that that's the part of their background was that spell had been cast on them, a party had left, they didn't die, right? And now they're adventuring, and they have this, like, fear of heights, like, that you can't even, there's like, oh, God, look, I don't trust magic, I don't trust heights. <laughs> like, what happened? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> And then there and was um there was a there was one of the one of the um uh um not Skyrim but the the world that Skyrim is in Elder Scrolls yeah. Elder Scrolls worlds um there was one of the Elder Scrolls games where it was great you would be out kind of just wandering around right and you'd hear this 
and you'd see this like sled this figure go boom in front of you and like splat on the ground. You're like, what the hell? And so you'd go over and you'd find there was two things on this robed figure other than their robes, if you want to dig them, was a, a, like a parchment and a pair of boots. And the boots were like these boots of leaping. And then the parchment was basically this mage keeping notes. It was like, oh, I've got the first part figured out. <laughs> and and if you use the items, you could like do these ridiculous leaps, but then it just built up terminal velocity, right? <laughs> so you had to keep them until you learned Featherfall in the game, and then you'd use them when you got close and you'd like fire off Featherfall so you could land. It was amazing. Oh, it was like the man. long play. It was so good. That's hysterical. As a, as a quick aside, there was a, an attempt to do, like, a PvP-like Elder Scrolls game that was so buggy. Um, and so, like, if your, like, um, race had a bonus to it, sometimes it would give you, instead of, like, a plus 15 to it, like a plus 15 million. <laughs> so you would jump, and you would just jump out of, like, the world. <laughs> like, oh, man, I... Jump that world. I mean, you, when you're shooting people and like your bow kills everything, like in one hit, you're like awesome. But I just can't hit spacebar. I hit spacebar. <laughs> <It's laughs> then my game's over. But until then, you jump into the glitch. Face. In the um, in the Twitch chat, choose reality. Said that was Morrowind. That was the game that was in. Like, oh, I totally did the same thing. Um, yeah, I love. I love. It's so funny. Like it's it, like when you find little things like that, like in any kind of game, I think is great. And I love to always try to put something like that in a tabletop I'm running to, right? Like, what's the thing they might find that only later are going to be like, oh, what if we did that thing? Right. That would be cool. Um, not always with success, but... It's very it's, rewarding when they actually do connect the dots, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though it's rare. I have, I have simply just given up trying to do stuff like that. Like, I'll give them stuff that will be cool, maybe, but, like... My players are all like, you know, like you, Bill, in um, the Traveler game. You're like, you know awesome. what? We're going to go, like, fucking overthrow this uh, this country. <laughs> all right. Yep. That is that is exactly what we're doing. <laughs> no, that was, I think I was supportive of that plan. I don't know if that was my plan. I will say, we were, we, were talking, um, we were talking at some point about reveals. And, like, one of my... One of the things I love doing, but is a challenge for me as a player, is I always end up writing these like super deep backstories, right? Um, and like I had a super deep backstory for Gen for that character, right? And but you, I will say the the kudo I want to throw you as a GM is that you gave me an opportunity to pay that off for the party, right? And like that's a great thing for a GM to do. Right is like, and kind of going back to even the last email we had to tie it into the show, um, is like if you've got a bard and you know that they're going to do that stuff, like give them a moment to shine. Like if that guy could have talked the ringmaster out of that because they were the bard, like that would have been amazing. Right, right. In the traveler game that Tappy ran, which by the way was the first online game I'd ever played, um, was our pantsless traveler game, um, because we were like this. We didn't have to wear pants. Nobody cared. Um, we would know. It would know. Well, we did because I think we all actually made like a show of like proving we were actually not wearing pants, as I recall, <laughs> at least on one occasion. Yes, we did. Right, which wasn't bad considering a couple of the people that were in that game. That's yeah. true. I will say. <laughs> um, but the thing that was was really funny about that is that my character had this like very secretive past as basically being a part of like the space yakuza, right? That's the best way I can put it. Um, and uh, and we ended up at one point 
going to some meeting that we had to get into for some reason. I don't remember why. But it was this, like, big high-end Yakuza meeting. And everybody's like, oh, how are we going to get in there? How are we going to get in there? I'm like, oh, don't worry. I have, I have an idea. And we get there, and the guards are at the door, and they're armed to the teeth. And they're like, you can't come in. And my, my character always wore the, the classic, like, big, long trench. And I take it off, and he's just tatted in Yakuza tats everywhere. Because as part of his character background, he had, like, be, become this, like, really high-level underworld, underworld criminal. And so takes it off, and they're all like, oh. <laughs> and they're out of the way. And the whole party's like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> <laughs> and you just got opened, right? And and I was so thankful for the moment to pay that off because that was like, oh, like all the weird, mysterious, not doing things in front of the party for months just came to the boiling point. <laughs> Well, also, that was when we first realized that you can do sidebars all the time while the game is going on. So Bill is is murdering people without anybody knowing. Um, and and sideboring on like, the chat. Online chat with <laughs> right. Cappy. Right. And, um, you know, there's somebody who's going after, like, um, uh, Shing's character. And uh, Bill just kind of, like, pulls them into the shadows and just like, shh. Shh. Well, you know, putting the knife into him. Well, but, but Shing's character was like super, like the super innocent, kind of like the engineer on Firefly. She's an engineer, yeah. right? She's got that thing going. Um, and and she was getting harassed. So I'm like, oh, and I come in, and my guy's big fizzy, and I hold this guy off. I'm like, oh, you, you should go now. You should go. Send her off. Yeah. And then I just like murder the dude. <laughs> right? But no one knows. And I just come back. And yeah. like, oh, he will not bother you again. Oh, okay, great. Thanks. Okay. Right? So, yeah, all this like. So- it's it that is easily in, Stu, including that game we played where Dave had us play all play villains. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember that one? Like, and I did bad stuff with that character. Gen is easily the darkest character I ever played. Yeah, because that guy did so much off camera stuff that <laughs> was so bad. And then when we finally got to where he revealed himself, then it was just like I got to do every eighties. Schwarzenegger action film <laughs> thing ever. At one point, I'm holding some other guy in front of me as a shield while I'm shooting over him. It was it was amazing, right? Yeah, I think the, the thing that was good about that, I'm going to give Tappy one more compliment as a GM, is that I had to because of of real life stuff that came up. I couldn't finish the campaign. We were maybe like two or three sessions away from finishing. I'm like, I just can't play anymore. So I talked with Tappy about, here's what I think Gen would do to achieve the goal that I think at that point Jessica's character had wanted to do, right? Mm -hmm. And so I said, here's what I think Gen would do. And it was super extreme. It was basically, we're going to come up with a plan. Here's how we're going to execute it. And then you need to give Gen a lobotomy so if anybody tries to read his mind... It's not there. It was so intense. It was super intense and very on character. And so, and then I was like, so however you play him is how you play him because his his personality can be altered by that. And I want him to be a part of the story ending even though I can't be there. Right? And I had enough trust and faith in Tappy as the GM and in the group to you know, at least have my character, even though I couldn't be there for the last couple of three sessions, to be a part of the the ends of the story, right? Um, and and that was all online, right? I think that's a big thing. My big takeaway now is that just because we're forced to have to play 
our games that normally we love sitting around a table and sharing snacks and seeing people, right, um, to do, you can still have, like, really incredible moments in an online game. And we're kind of fortunate to have a hobby that you can do online. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, there's other, there are people out there who have, who have hobbies that can't do that. Mm-hmm. And they just, they just don't get to do it. We can continue to do it. We have to do it a little differently, but we can totally continue to do it, which I'm very thankful for. Mm-hmm. So, now, my, my, I have, I, we should end because my daughter has, I have something I urgently have to take a picture of, apparently. <laughs> that she came in during the first email, and that's when I had my I headphones off. I'm like, I was sitting there doing that because <laughs> she was trying to de- describe what it is I have to take a picture of. So. so I'm going to go ahead and end the show. That sounds uh, good. Email. Mm-hmm. Let's see where we go. Thank you for joining us for season 27, episode 10 of Happy Jack's Refugee Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Tappy. And this is Bill, and I want to pour one out for RGB. This is a, a thing you know that we don't talk a lot of politics and stuff in here, and it's not about that. Incredible woman. Amazing legacy. Yep. Absolutely. And we'll see you next week, Friday, 7 p.m. Pacific time. Join us then. HappyJacks.org slash live. Thank you very much. of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.